This is ASHA Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. We are checking in with communication professionals working in schools. On our previous episode, we highlighted school-based SLPs. This week, we sit down with a panel of educational audiologists to discuss the new academic year. We discuss mask use and intelligibility, backlogged hearing screenings, the benefits of telepractice for some audiological services, and more. Join us as we ask how this academic year is different from the spring. I'm J.D. Gray. This is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA store. No trick, just five days of treats from October 26th through 30th. Learn more at asha.org slash just treats. We're a few weeks into the new academic year, and one thing is clear— this year looks different. We're going to discuss those differences today with the past, present, and incoming presidents of the Educational Audiology Association, or EAA. The organization is one of ASHA's partners and provides resources and advocates for educational audiologists. Aaron Donlin is the EAA past president and an educational audiologist for the Cooperative Educational Services Agency Number 4 in Wisconsin. Aaron serves 16 school districts and says districts vary in how they deliver services, including all remote, all in-person, and a hybrid service delivery model. Lisa Cannon is a full-time audiologist with Denver Public Schools and a coordinator for the Colorado Department of Education. Lisa says Colorado is similar to Wisconsin. Denver Public Schools is Lisa's primary employer and the largest district in the state. She says the district started remotely and is beginning to adopt a model that includes in-person service delivery. Kim Ward is the current EAA president and a faculty member at the University of Southern Mississippi, where she oversees a full-time audiology clinic on campus. When we recorded earlier this month, Kim said she's been seeing patients at the clinic for about four weeks. One note, Kim also does contract work for school districts, but that work has stopped since the schools closed in March. And I mention this because Kim says this has been the experience of many contract audiologists. Aaron, Lisa, and Kim joined me at the beginning of this month. I asked them how things look different from the spring. Aaron speaks first on the flexibility the new year is requiring from staff, students, and families, as some school districts may require sudden switches to virtual learning. Well, this is Aaron, and I know that for a lot of my school districts, the expectation is that if we switch to a virtual mode, that the expectation is that we all switch immediately. And so there's less, I would say, grace period with that switch into the virtual mode for those districts that are in an in-person learning. And then if we switch to virtual, you know, say on Monday, then that means everybody's services are back up and running right away. There's none of this kind of, well, let's wait and see and see how long this takes. And maybe we'll see this kid next week. It's really the expectation is that everyone's used to this. Everyone should be able to connect, whether it's through Google or Zoom or Teams or, you know, whatever your online platform of choice is. And families are really expected to do the same. And so it's, it's not just on the staff. It's also on parents that kids are still expected to learn even if we are at home for two weeks at a time or for home longer than that. So that's the one thing we've definitely seen a difference from spring to the fall. Yeah, I'd agree, Erin. Lisa Cannon. One of the interesting things I've noticed is that the comfort level of everyone is much greater than in the spring with the technology, with the format, 
And actually, I think people are seeing some benefit from doing things this way remotely, so to speak. Having IEP meetings, for instance, I was at an IEP meeting yesterday and for a high school student with multiple disabilities, and he and his mom and dad were sitting in the meeting, and he has a number of providers on his IEP, and mom made a comment that this is probably the best turnout at any of his IEPs for a number of years because we could all participate. One thing that I think of when we talk about in-person services are masks. Masks are everywhere, and this can create issues with hearing, especially people that depend on being able to see the mouth move. Could you talk a little bit about the role masks are playing in the school environment from the perspective of educational audiologists? So this is Kim. So definitely we know that there's been recent research that has occurred that have shown that masks, regardless of the type, we know that our speech intelligibility and understanding has been reduced. And then to further complicate that, we have learners sitting at home on a computer where they may or may not have access to appropriate captioning and or the teacher's face at all times. Kim says face masks can lead to intelligibility issues for all students, not just those with hearing loss. And because of this and the distancing that is being implemented in classrooms, EAA is recommending all classrooms use a Classroom Audio Distribution System, or CADS. CADS is similar in function to the FM systems that are being used to assist students with hearing loss, although instead of sending the signal to specific students, CADS broadcasts to the entire class. Watch the LEADER website for more information on these systems. That's at leader.pubs.asha.org. To demonstrate how masks are affecting intelligibility, I decided to put on my mask and ask our guests what they could hear. JD, what kind of mask is that you're putting so, on? Well, it's on now, and this is a um, this is a blue cloth mask, and it's got a little filter in it. I don't know where it's from, but it's it's uh, pretty tight on my face now. So immediately I noticed a, a significant decrease in the understanding, your speech intelligibility, specifically in those higher frequencies. So the s and the sh and the f, the f sound, um, those are what kind of stick out to me as missing or diminished. Does this affect the sound of anything else that I'm, I'm saying? Yeah, so the one thing that we have shown is that wearing a mic, so rather than having a mic close to your mouth. We advocate for that all the time in normal times, but this has been particularly brought to mind with the use of masks and virtual learning, like just with remote meetings, because the closer the microphone is to your mouth, the better the signal will be. So luckily the microphone, I think your boom mic probably is helping to us to understand you, even though we notice the reduced quality. But having that microphone is actually one of the best strategies that we can recommend for teachers and kids right now. In the classroom, as as, uh, Kim mentioned, with the classroom audio distribution system or wearing a mic when they're sitting in front of their laptop, teaching a virtual lesson as well. Hashtag wear the mic. (laughs) Is there anything else that you might want to mention with regards to either uh, masks or infection control in schools? I I would say the one comment about masks that I think um, is really kind of a bright side to what we do um, is that it's bringing a lot of attention to what effective communication, listening and speaking looks like. 
to everyone. And as like Kim mentioned, um, even those with normal hearing are having struggles. And so as I was leaving uh, my building this morning, one of the the teachers, he just said, gosh, you must be so busy right now um, thinking about all of the, you know, the the heart, how hard it is to hear with masks, you know, you must be super busy. And, and how does that feel? And I, it, it was a really interesting conversation. And, um, and, and I think it's going to be a bright side for, um, for just a general understanding of, of communication in general. So not just for audiologists, but for speech pathologists as well. You think it's promoting empathy? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the conversation you had. So, they, we were all wearing masks out and it was outside and I was um, just saying goodbye and, uh, and he stopped me and this is a PE teacher and um, he, we were just talking about all the challenges of, um, of possibly doing live streamings, teachers in the classroom teaching to a live audience as well as a virtual audience at the same time and what um, complex challenges that is. And he just thought of, wow, all of the, the, you deal with listening and speaking all the time. So you really must um, be, uh, you know, problem solving. Your job must be exponentially uh, increased due to all the problem solving that you're uh, having to do. So it's just brought a huge awareness to what we do. I agree, Lisa. And also on the, uh, the mass question, I, I would think the the additional thing that I would like to remind everyone is that regardless of the type of mask, if it's a clear mask, if it's a paper mask, every mask reduces that speech understanding. And so we really haven't found that one is better than the other. They're all detrimental to understanding speech. What about the clear masks? We hear that um, being recommended sometimes. Uh, is that effective? So I would say, you know, I've actually done some functional listening evaluations for some of my students um, who are undergoing, we're in an evaluation process, and that's part of a typical evaluation that we would use. And I've done some with both wearing my regular facial covering, which is just a cloth facial covering that I wear all the time. And then I have the smile mask, which has the clear window covering. And I've done it in both, you know, with uh, in both conditions. And I haven't seen, uh, yeah, I know I tested one student the other day and I, I put the clear mask on and we were testing in the noise condition, which is typically a, a more challenging condition. And he did terribly in both with the facial covering, whether it was cloth or whether it was with the smile mask. And he kind of looked at me, he said, well, I can't read your lips, so that doesn't help me. And I just thought, well, that's a really interesting insight. Like we can't just assume that giving someone the visual cues will help him. And part of it is maybe he hasn't necessarily been taught to use some of those cues, but um, yeah, that was, that was, it's been eye-opening to see that we can't make a general recommendation. We just have, like Kim said, we know masks are detrimental to speech uh, intelligibility. And so figuring out for each listener kind of what works for them and going from there, I would say. Erin, I'm curious. Um, I personally have, have not worn those clear smile masks that you're talking about, um, but I have worn face shields and those tend to, along with my mask when we're doing aerosol generating procedures like ear molds, but I'm curious as to if it fogged up at all and if that might have been a reason. 
So my first day that I wore the clear um, smile mask, it did fog because I hadn't properly treated it. And then I happened to go onto the educational audiology listserv and I knew there would be how, what's the best way to fix this fogging. And there was, there was a great um, tutorial by one of our fellow at odds, uh, I believe in Canada. And she, you know, talked about that you use the Dawn power foam spray or any kind of a dish soap. And some people have used other things, but I really found that if I treat it every night, so when I get home, I kind of wash it out and then we'll spray it down with the the Dawn dish soap and then let it dry exactly as they described it. That's really, really kept down the fogging. Now there's still condensation, but that is, that can be dealt with. It's really that fogging when you just, you can't see anything that's, yeah, that's definitely been a problem, but yeah. He, he could still see me. He just said, I, I, I don't know what your lips are saying. I said, okay, fair point. <laughs> fair enough. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we discuss delayed evaluations and what the increased use of telepractice could mean for the future. Support for Asha Voices comes from the Asha store. Discover a new treat every day from October 26th through 30th in the Asha store. Shop daily discounts on fall apparel, books, and gift items, and get free shipping on orders $25 or more. Learn more at asha.org slash just treats. In the second half of my conversation with the past, present, and incoming presidents of the Educational Audiology Association, Lisa mentioned a concern she's heard from her colleagues in Colorado. In the future, Lisa says, audiologists may be facing a backlog of hearing screenings from services that were interrupted and delayed by COVID-19. We'll pick back up during this part of the conversation. We'll hear Kim continue the conversation on this subject. So this is Kim. I will say that the evaluations that we are doing for the schools specifically, they're on a priority need basis. So if they're up for their annual evaluation or their three-year evaluation or reevaluation, then obviously we need an updated audiogram. So we will put those first. Or if there's been a significant decrease in hearing, which has been noted, we of course will be able to see those. But if it's just an annual eval, just for a follow-up, typically we have been delaying those because it's not top priority. Yeah, I'd concur with that prioritization method. That's definitely what we're recommending in Colorado with our state guidance as far as doing hearing evaluations. We are definitely looking more at those kids who are higher risk, preschool and kindergarten, kids who have failed previous screenings, kids whose, as you mentioned, hearing may fluctuate or decrease, or there's significant parent concern. As far as delays in our special education processes, I don't think that hearing specifically is holding up any of those evaluations, but I do know at the district, in my district, there are some evaluations that have been on hold, mainly for those standardized types of tests. But we're, we are moving forward with quite a large number of special ed processes and evaluations. Yeah, this is Erin. I would agree. We actually have quite a backlog, it seems, right now with the evaluations that we had put on hold in the springtime, thinking we'd be back to quote-unquote normal by this time. And so now it's like, well, here we are. We've just got to dig in and just get these evaluations done because the timelines are ticking. And I would say there's maybe 
for some of our districts where they're not in person yet, we're maybe opting to do file review. Maybe we're not necessarily bringing kids back in for evaluation um, if the families are not comfortable or if we don't feel like you know, maybe it's not, we wouldn't be getting maybe the best results from somebody under this type of a setting. So we, I have noticed a little bit of that changing, but in my districts that are in person, we're proceeding kind of as normal in terms of just continuing on and evaluating the same areas that yeah. we would have before. For audiologists working in districts that are creating that backlog, what kinds of things can they do now to be prepared for when they're able to start conducting more assessments? That is a really good question. <laughs> I think we're all trying to figure that out, actually. <laughs> I have been working with the leadership in my district, and by that I mean our special education directors and leaders, as well as our school nursing staff who run our universal screenings. So I think it's going to require quite a bit of data analysis to figure out you know, where the gaps are and how we can start slowly making a dent in some of those really more at-risk kids. But that is just a good question. And I think, I mean, personally, I'm still trying to figure out what to do. If Kim or Aaron, if you guys have any good ideas, let me know. <laughs> no, I think you were right when you said prioritization, putting those higher risk kids and families and pushing those through would be my probably suggestion. But, and I think just knowing that we're all in this and we just, we'll get through it. It's just going to take some time. And yeah, it's, it's definitely been challenging. I would say I would agree. I would also say that, like Lisa mentioned earlier, about that she, the IEP turnout was so much greater. I guess prioritizing what we can still do virtually to help our caseload and to help us be more productive when we do return to normal. Because I do believe that we are going to see some positives out of this and that we are going to continue to do a lot of things virtually to hopefully help reduce our caseload. We spoke more about how being familiar with telepractice could pave the way for smoother adaptation in the future. Aaron says the pandemic has forced educational audiologists to rethink how they provide services. There may be times when an in-person visit could be replaced by a video call, decreasing the amount of time needed driving from school to school. Kim mentioned she's seen improvements in live video captioning. She notes that she still recommends the use of a live captioner as the preferred approach. And then Lisa brought up another benefit of telepractice. Heard it from a lot of those around the state of Colorado. Our relationships with families, by, by going remote and being in their home virtually, our relationships with families have really increased and I think our ability su to support parents and the parents involvement in their child's education and parents understanding of their impact of their child's hearing loss those are those are definitely uh, silver linings that I'm hearing from the field yeah, that's great, Lisa. I know that's something that our membership has expressed over and over again through the town halls that we have had. I think that's a crucial element. But as far as the teleaudiology services in a state like Mississippi, I'm six and seven hours to the top of the state where I'm at. I'm almost in the middle of the state. They don't have educational audiology services. We have a couple of educational audiologists and most of them are dedicated to specific schools. So I do believe that this is going to allow us once we kind of get our bearing and get our footing and get past um, this, hopefully this semester and the spring semester to allow us to provide 
more teleaudiology services to those school districts to those children who are not and have never received any services. Wow. That would be huge. Yeah, I'm excited about that too, Kim. I think that's been an issue for all rural parts of the country, right? And, and finding audiologists is hard. So this could really open up a whole extra specialization for educational audiology. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree. We've talked about a lot of the great silver linings that could come out of this, positive things for the future, and it's good to have that optimism. On the other side of that, though, I've talked to many audiologists and SLPs, and and they've shared with me that they've seen that this is a tough time. It's a tough time for the kids in the schools, and it's a tough time for the staff. I'm wondering, are you hearing that from the educational audiologists that are your members? Are you hearing that this is a stressful time as well? I have a specific example of that. Yes, I have heard from a couple of our districts that are fully in person or doing some hybrid sorts of services that they're stressed because they're slightly removed from the communication channels in their school district. And specifically, they are being asked to do business as usual, but they're not being informed in, on where potential exposure, virus exposure has happened in a school. So when schools shut down because of a case, they're not actually being contacted because they are are slightly removed from the building. And they felt very, I could hear it in her voice. She just felt really stressed. They were having to form these channels of communication on the ground to figure it it out as a team. So yes, I think, I, I think there is some stress. Yeah, Lisa, I would agree with you. I think that additional part of that stress, you talked about educational audiologists being removed from the normal channels of communication, but also when we're thinking about our educational audiologists like myself who contract on an hourly basis when we're not being contacted, when we're not being asked to provide services that can also put a financial strain on some educational audiologists, especially if they have a lot of contracts where maybe their schools are not contacting them yet or just contacting them at a slower rate. And then, Erin, I know that um, in speaking with you, as you drive your over 2,000 miles, you were talking about just the stress of going from district to district and school to school. They all have their different their different roles. Yeah, luckily, uh, our governor has a statewide mask mandate. And so every building, you're expected to have your mask on, you know, unless you had a, a health reason for not doing so. Luckily, we do have that. In most of my buildings, I think it's the... I will say I've had actually the opposite experience of what you had talked about, Lisa, that we're really, I mean, I I get emails, you know, several times a day, hey, so-and-so's out for five days, Uh, so-and-so is under quarantine, they'll be back on this date, so-and-so, for my students who have been sent home, or maybe they had a possible close contact and, you know, they're awaiting test results, so, but we, I think, did a really nice job of my director made sure like, hey, you, you need to let our people know so that they know, hey, how are we going to serve these kids? You know, that kind of thing. And then the I think the hardest thing is just, like you said, Kim, is just kind of knowing, okay, so this is what this building's doing. Okay, so I can come in and see this kid. And in a lot of my districts, I receive the emails. I have badges for my districts. It just kind of depends. But yeah, it's it's a little different depending, even sometimes building to building, it's different. So <laughs> within the same district. So I'm sort of kind of baffled by that sometimes, but <laughs> I guess, you know, it's just the way it is. Anything else before we go? I think budget cuts has everyone stressed a little bit as well. I think that, you know, education funding right now is so 
um, much in crisis. And so we, you know, we, we all are fearful for what that's going to mean for um, cont- being able to continue to provide our services, possible cusps, as Kim mentioned, you know, to contracted audiologists, but I've um, heard of district audiologists also being cut. So I, I think that's a, that's a stressful place to be um, right now as well. I know one of my directors, uh, this is Aaron, one of my directors had said, well, the, the issue is maybe not so much this year, but it's all of our students who have opted for homeschooling this year, they don't get included in our budget counts, you know, our October counts. And if they're out of the district this school year, but they come back next school year, we don't have any, there was no accounting for them into the 2021-2022 budgets, but they're still going to show back up and we still have to serve them. So that to me was, I hadn't really thought about that. And it's like, oh yeah, this is going to have a major ripple effect on, you know, those budgets, not just this year, but going forward. And those years could be years that you're working through some of this backlog as well. Yeah. Kim, Aaron, Lisa, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, JD. Thank you. We couldn't cover it all on this episode, but we want to hear from you. What are you experiencing at the start of this academic year? Leave us a voicemail at 301-296-5804 or send us an email at podcast at asha.org. And for resources about resuming services in person or providing ideological services virtually, visit asha.org and navigate to the school resources from the COVID-19 updates banner. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA store. No trick, just five days of treats. Each day is a different deal, so mark your calendar. Learn more at asha.org slash just treats. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.